filled with your spirit. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, we're there in uh, Hebrews chapter number four. And of course, on Wednesday nights, we've been going through a sermon series, a book study in the book of Hebrews. We're going verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And uh, tonight we are here in Hebrews chapter number four. And if you remember last week, we actually read the first 11 uh, verses of Hebrews 4, and the first 11 verses deal with the subject of the Sabbath day. And uh, last week, I preached an entire sermon about why we don't keep the Sabbath day. And if you remember that, I gave six biblical reasons as to why we don't uh, keep the Sabbath day. And I didn't really go through this passage of Scripture because this passage of Scripture is dealing with the Sabbath day. And I felt like it might be a little bit of a disservice since there's so much false teaching on the Sabbath day to teach the passage, although there's nothing wrong with the Word of God, nothing wrong with the passage. Uh, It could be misunderstood by people if maybe they have been exposed to wrong teaching or something like that. So last week I spent uh, the evening going through and explaining why we don't keep the Sabbath day. Like I said, I, I, I gave six biblical reasons, and I'm not going to re-preach that sermon tonight. It's, it's on our website, and it's on uh, online. You can check it out if you missed it. Tonight, I'm going to actually just preach through the passage about the Sabbath, uh, and, and, and I'm not going to deal with the false teaching on the keeping of the Sabbath day. So these sermons, obviously, this is a Bible study. It's all connected. We're going verse by verse in context, uh, but even more so, I would say tonight's sermon is in context with last week's sermon because I'm going to ignore just the false teaching on the Sabbath day, just teach you what the Bible is teaching here about the Sabbath day uh, and, and, and moving forward with the assumption that you understand why we don't keep the Sabbath day if you just understand that biblically or if you were here uh, last week for the uh, Wednesday night Bible study. Now, I also want to say this, of course, it's our uh, Pi Social tonight, so I'd like to move as quickly as I can and, and preach this, uh, not, not spend any more time uh, than we need to, but I would like you to notice really just kind of two headings or two different sections regarding uh, the Sabbath day. And the first one, and if you're taking notes, and I encourage you to take notes on the back of your course of the week, there's a place for you to write down some notes. The, the first heading uh, when it comes to this idea of the Sabbath day or the rest, I would call it the primary rest the primary rest. And if you're taking notes, maybe you can just write in parentheses next to that statement, the primary rest, and realize this, that the primary rest is salvation. And uh, when, we are, uh, when, when we are looking at this passage and, and the, the word rest is coming up, what is being referred to here is salvation. Now, you, you may ask, well, how do you know that? And again, just look at the context, and it should be pretty clear. Hebrews chapter 4 Look at verse 1, let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest. Now, here's what he's saying. He's saying, when he says, let us therefore fear, he's saying there is something you should be afraid of. There is something we should all be afraid of. And when he's talking about all humanity, there's something that all human beings should be afraid of. And here's what that is. He says, let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. And here's what he's saying. He's saying we should all be afraid, every human being should be afraid of coming short of the promise of entering into his rest. He said we should all fear, everyone should be afraid to miss that promise. Everyone should be afraid that they would, and I want you to notice this wording, 
come short of it. So we understand when we look at this passage that the rest being referred to here is salvation. And when he says, you know, you ought to fear lest you miss the promise of entering into his rest, what he's saying is you ought to fear uh, lest you miss salvation, uh, lest you do not uh, enter into salvation. Because the Bible says, and as it is appointed unto men, in the book of Hebrews, later on in the book, it says, and as it is appointed unto men, once to die, and after this, the judgment. And once we die... Uh, then the, the time is up. The, the Bible says that today is a day of salvation, and it's not something that we should put off for another day because you don't know that another day is promised to you. So he says we should fear lest the promise being left us. Now, you may ask the question, and, and, and some who maybe want to teach false teachings about the Sabbath day would ask this question, how do you know this is talking about salvation? Well, I'm going to point it out to you, and it's going to become extremely extremely clear as we go through the verses, but let me just point out one uh, just initial thing that you can maybe see and make a connection, and it is this phrase at the end of verse 1 where he says, come short of it. Come short of it. Now keep your place there in Hebrews. That's our text for tonight. Go with me if you would to the book of Romans. Romans chapter number 3, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans chapter 3. Now we believe here that the King James Bible is God's inspired, preserved, inerrant word. Uh, we believe that there are no accidents in the Bible. There is nothing in the Bible is, is also incidental or accidental or coincidental. And the fact that the writer of Hebrews, which I believe is the Apostle Paul, is using this phrase, come short. This is a phrase that is very well known, and I think he's trying to point us in a direction and to let us know that he is referring to salvation. Here's another very famous verse that uses this phrase. You know it, Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says that because of sin, we come short. And here the writer of Hebrews is saying, go back to Hebrews 4, let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should come short of it. He says, you should be afraid of coming short of it, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So how do we know that the primary rest is salvation? And again, if you've been with us through the book of Hebrews, you know that one of the themes of the book of Hebrews is the fact that Jesus is better. We've been seeing this all throughout the book of Hebrews. We began with this idea that the prophets spake, but in these last days, God has spoken through his son. And the idea is this, that though the prophets were good, Jesus is better. We've uh, looked at the fact that Moses was good, but Jesus is better. The angels were good, but Jesus is better. The old covenant was good, but the covenant of Jesus, the New Testament, is better. And the idea is this, that in the Old Testament, there was this idea of rest, and it's a good concept, and it was a foreshadow of things to come, but the rest that Jesus offers is better. So we see here that he's talking about salvation, and the first hint that we get to that is the fact that he says, be afraid to come short of it. But then, in, just in case you're thinking to yourself, well, that's not, very, uh, that's not a very uh, good uh, piece of evidence. Yeah, it could just be a coincidence. Maybe that term is used a lot. And I don't think it is. I, I think it's being used for a reason. But verse 2 makes it undeniably clear that it is talking about salvation. Look at verse 2. For unto us 
was, don't miss it, the gospel preached, all right? So there you go. This is absolutely talking about salvation. The rest is salvation. He says in verse 1, you ought to be afraid you come short of it. And then in verse 2, he makes it clear what he's talking about. He says, for unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. By the way, this is a great verse for dispensationalists because here the writer of Hebrews is saying the gospel, the same gospel, in the same way that the gospel was preached to us as New Testament believers, it was also preached unto them in the Old Testament. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. Notice what he says. But the word preached did not profit them. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because later in Hebrews, in this very chapter, he's going to talk about, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. But here he tells us that the word preached didn't profit them, but he explains why. It did not profit them not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. So notice that the only way that the word of God is going to profit you or profit me is when it's mixed with faith. It has to be mixed with faith in order to give us salvation. But I want you to notice in verse 1, he says, come short. In verse 2, he says, the gospel was preached. And then in verse 2, he also says that it needed to be mixed with faith in them that heard it. So he's talking about sin, come short. The gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the message of salvation. And the only way that it can profit you or anyone else is if we believe is if it's mixed with faith, is if we receive it through faith, for by grace are you saved through faith. So we see that it's very clear that the rest, the primary rest, the best rest, the, the, the better rest being referred to here is the rest of salvation, that we must enter into his rest, and that is a reference to salvation. And look, when it comes to salvation, we just have to remember this, that there are only two Gospels out there. There might be many religions, there might be many different churches out there, but there's really only two belief systems out there. Either you are resting in your faith in Christ, or you are trying to work your way to heaven. And if you're trying to work your way to heaven, that's not rest. And that's not salvation, and that's not the Gospel. Look at verse 3, Hebrews 4 and verse 3. For we which have believed, notice the emphasis again, do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath. Now, we've already looked at this, because this, this quote is coming up a lot, and it's Psalm 95. We've already seen it in previous weeks. Psalm 95 is clearly talking about when the children of Israel chose to not enter the promised land, when they made it to the edge of the promised land, Remember, they sent the 12 spies in. The, 12, the uh, 10 spies came back with an evil report, and they chose not to, co to go into the promised land. And God says that he swore in his wrath uh, that they should not enter into my rest. Although, look at the last part of verse 3. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. So again, I just want to give you another cross-reference to look at, just to show you that this rest is talking about salvation, it's talking about the gospel, it's talking about believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, putting your faith in Jesus Christ, and, and it's telling you to be afraid that you come short of it, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Look at the last part of verse 3, from the foundation of the world. He said, the works were finished from the foundation of the world. He said, look, you don't have to work your way to heaven because all you need to do is believe is, is mix it with faith, 
the message of the gospel. Uh, the word needs to be mixed with faith. And he says, as far as works, you don't have to work. He says, because the works, look at the last part of verse 3. The works were finished from the foundation of the world. All right, let's look at a cross-reference. Go to Revelation 13. Last book in the New Testament should be fairly easy to find. Revelation 13. Look at verse number 8. Revelation 13, 8. Revelation 13 and verse 8, the Bible says this, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life. Now here it's talking about those that are going to worship the Antichrist. Now notice, it's saying everyone's going to worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb. And then it says this, of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So the Bible tells us that Jesus was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Hebrews tells us that the works were finished from the foundation of the world. And the idea is this, that God... Uh, already had it planned from the foundation of the world. He already knew that Adam and Eve would sin and that, that, that his son would have to die as a sacrifice to bring salvation. It was already as good as done from the foundation of the world. Which, by the way, is why uh, the writer of Hebrews can say, for the gospel, uh, for unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. Because people will say, well, how did they preach the gospel to people in the Old Testament if Jesus hadn't died yet? Well, the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Now, God had already decided and, and, and determined that Jesus would die on the cross. And when God promises something, it is as good as done. He speaks of things that are not as though they already are. So it was already done. So in the Old Testament, they would look forward in faith, believing that Jesus would die on the cross for their, sons, for their sins. We, of course, look back to the cross in faith, believing that He has died on the cross for our sins. But the works were finished from the foundation of the world. And they could have believed on it from the foundation of the world. And they did believe in it from the foundation of the world. The Bible says all the way in the early uh, chapters of Genesis that men we're calling upon the name of the Lord, and we know, of course, that's reference to salvation. Go back to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4. So I want you to notice we see the primary, the primary rest is being spoken of here. And what is that primary rest? What is the best rest that any of us could have? And it is the rest of salvation. The fact that we can rest in our salvation. So we see the primary rest. But then I want you to notice that the writer of Hebrews, beginning in verse 4, gives us the pictures of rest. So first he talks about the primary rest, which is salvation. And then he gives us the pictures of rest. And if you're taking notes and you'd like to jot a heading down, you can jot that down, the picture of rest. And if you'd like, you can put in parentheses, symbolic. Now the primary rest was salvation. The pictures of rest are symbolic. And they are symbolic of salvation. And what the writer of Hebrews does is he gives us two different examples or illustrations of rest. Now, these are examples and illustrations. They are foreshadows of the primary rest, which is salvation. They are Old Testament pictures of rest that picture the primary rest of salvation. Are you with me? Let me give you a couple, let me show you these examples that the writer of Hebrews gives. He gives two different examples. The first one is in verse 4. Notice what he says. For he spake in a certain place. Now the certain place he's referring to 
because he's about to quote the Old Testament, is Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. And we're going to turn there here in a minute. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day. So the first example, because remember, he begins talking about the primary rest. What is the primary rest? Salvation. He says, don't come short of it. He said, it's the gospel. He said, you have to mix the word being preached with faith. You have to believe in it. The works were finished from the foundation of the world. He said, the primary rest of salvation. He says, but there are some pictures of rest in the Old Testament. And he says, there is a certain place where he spake in a certain place of the seventh day. So the first example he gives is that of the Sabbath day. Now, again, I preached a whole sermon last week about why we don't practice the Sabbath day as New Testament believers. I'm not going to deal with that subject tonight. But he gives his example of the seventh day or the Sabbath day, and he says this, verse 4, For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. Now, let's, let's run the verses. Keep your place there in Hebrews 4. Go to Genesis chapter number 2. Should be fairly easy to find the first book in the whole Bible, Genesis, and only the second chapter. Genesis chapter 2. This is right after the creation story in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 1. In Genesis 2 and verse 1, the Bible says this Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. All right? So we see here, this is the establishment of the, of the seventh day, the first seventh day or Sabbath day, where God labored for six days, creating the heavens and the earth, and then he rested on the seventh day. The writer of Hebrews is telling us that is an example or an illustration of salvation. And we actually talked about this last week, that salvation is this, when we cease from our own works and enter into his rest in the same way that God did rest the seventh day from all his works. He ceased from his own works and he entered into rest. So that's the first example. The first example is the example of the seventh day. Go back to Hebrews chapter 4. Let me show you the second example. And again, I, I want to try to move through this as quickly as I can. I want, I want to teach you the content and, and give you all the information you need, but I want to move as quickly as possible. Here's example number two. So, so we've got the primary rest, salvation. Then we have the picture of rest, right? Because the whole book of Hebrews is about how the New Testament is better than the Old Testament. So he's giving us two Old Testament examples of rest, and he's saying, these were good, but this one is better. These were good, but these are foreshadows. They are pictures of the primary rest. The primary rest is salvation. What are the pictures? What is a symbolic uh, a picture of salvation? Well, one is the seventh day, the Sabbath day, where you labor for six days, and then you cease from your labors, and you enter into rest. That's just like salvation. You stop trying to work your way to heaven. You stop trying to go to the communion uh, or, or, or the confessional booth. You, you stop trying to turn over a new leaf or repent of your sins, and you just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you rest. That's example number one, the seventh day. Then in verse five, he gives us example number two. We've already talked about it a little bit, but let's look at it again. Hebrews 4 and verse 5. And in this place again. Now he's quoting Psalm 95, verses 8 through 11. He says, and in this place again, because he's been quoting Psalm 95 
through the book of Hebrews. It's not the first time he brings this up. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Notice verse 7. Again, he limited a certain day, saying, And David, today, after so long a time, as it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. So what is he talking about? And again, I'm not going to have you go to Psalm 95. We've gone there a lot. But these are all quotes from Psalm 95. And when, he, and when he's talking about the fact that they hardened their hearts or the fact that he swore in his wrath that they would not enter into his rest, he is referring to the fact that they refused to go into the promised land. Now, if you're paying attention, and I realize probably most of you are not, and that's okay. Just let's pretend you are, okay? If you're paying attention, you would ask the question, if you are an intuitive student of the Bible, which I'm just going to assume you are, you would ask the same question that I asked myself when I was reading through this text. And I, the question that I asked myself was this. Well, I understand how the Sabbath day or the seventh day is a picture of salvation because you are laboring for six days and then you're ceasing from your labor and you're entering into rest. But how is it that the children of Israel refusing to enter the promised land, how does that picture salvation? And specifically, I can understand how it could picture salvation, but how does it picture rest? But here's what you need to understand. I'm just going to give you the answer because I don't have time to give you Go through the passage and explain it all. We preached it in Numbers recently, so hopefully you're, you're kind of caught up. The answer is this. The children of Israel had just spent 400 plus years in slavery. They spent hundreds of years serving and working. And God sends Moses and delivers them out of work and is trying to give them free land. Cities they did not build. Vineyards they did not plant. The idea is this. You've been working. I want you to cease from your labor and enter into my rest. But when the ten spies came back and gave the evil report, the people's hearts filled with fear, which is the opposite of faith. And the Bible says, look at Hebrews 4, 6, Seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. They had been laboring as slaves in Egypt. God wanted to have them enter into His rest, the promised land, but they did not enter in because of unbelief. And He says this is a picture of salvation. It's actually a picture of less you should fear, less you miss the promise and you come short of it. Because the reason that people don't get saved is because they're not willing to stop laboring and enter into His rest. So we have the primary rest of salvation, then we have the picture of rest, the symbolic rest, the seventh day in the promise and, and the promised land. Now, I do want to deal with something in verse 8. We'll start in verse 7 just so you get the context. And I'd like you to notice it here in Hebrews 4 and verse 7. Again, he limited the certain day, saying to David, and David, today, after so long a time, as it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. Now, why does he bring up David? He brings up David because he's quoting from the book of Psalms, and it's a psalm that David wrote. That's why he brings up David. But the psalm is about Moses and the children of Israel 
and the 12 spies and the 10 spies that came back with an evil report and the two spies that came back with a good report and the fact that the children of Israel did not enter into the promised land, did not enter into his rest because of unbelief, all right? So he brings up David because it's a psalm written by David, but it's about Moses and the children of Israel. Are, are, you, are you with me? Does that make sense? Now, now, notice verse 7. Again, he limited a certain time, a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time, as it is said, Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Verse 8, For if Jesus, I want you to notice that name there, Jesus. For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day. Now again, if you're not paying attention, which I realize maybe some of you are not, you would read this passage and assume that in verse 8, when it says, for if Jesus had not given them rest, that the Jesus there is referring to our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who was born in Bethlehem, the one who we are going to celebrate his birth here in a few weeks. But I want you to understand that that is not the case. In Hebrews 4 and verse 8, the Jesus referred to here, for if Jesus had given them rest, is actually referring to the Old Testament character, Joshua. Now, I want you to, to, to get this, okay? Remember, the context is about what story? The children of Israel refusing to enter the promised land, refusing, God wanted them to come out of Egypt where they had been slaving away, working away. He wanted them to cease from their labor and enter into his rest, the promised land. Moses failed to bring them in. But there was an Old Testament character who brought the children of Israel into the promised land. And he is known in the Old Testament as Joshua. So in Hebrews 4 and verse 8, the person referred to here who's named Jesus is actually Joshua. For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? And here's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's saying, I understand that Joshua did bring them into the promised land. But he says, that was still symbolic. That's not the real rest. Joshua did not give them eternal rest. He says, for if Joshua, if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day. So I want you to notice that Hebrews 4.8, when it says Jesus there, it is not referring to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. It is referring to the Old Testament character, Joshua. Now, let me just, some of you are like, I don't know about that. Okay, let me give you an example, another example. This is something that we see in the, in the New Testament. Go to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 7. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts chapter 7. Let me give you another example of this. J Joshua is called Jesus in the New Testament. And it's not Jesus, our Savior. Acts chapter 7. Now, if you're familiar with Acts chapter 7, you have Stephen preaching his great sermon right before he is stoned. And Stephen, in his great sermon, is detailing the history of the children of Israel. And he's going through their history. We'll just start here in verse 44, because I want you to see the context. Notice what Stephen is talking about. Acts 7, 44. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness. What's that talking about? That's what we're studying in the book of Numbers, right? As he had appointed, speaking unto Moses. You see Moses? We're talking about what time frame? The time frame of Moses, the tabernacle in the wilderness, that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen, verse 45, 
which also our fathers that came after. So he was talking about Moses, but then he says, our fathers that came after. Now, let me ask you this. Who came after Moses? Joshua, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those are all about Moses. Then you have the book of Joshua. Notice what he says, verse 45. Which also our fathers that came after, that came after what? That came after Moses brought in with, look at it, Jesus into the possession of the Gentiles. Now the possession of the Gentiles is the promised land. Did Jesus bring the children of Israel into the promised land? Jesus born of Bethlehem? Jesus the Nazarene? No. Jesus there is referring to Joshua. Joshua is the one that brought them into the possession of the Gentiles. You say, why are you showing us this? Well, first of all, maybe you'll start paying attention when you read the Bible. And I'll just assume that because you see Jesus, it is referring to the Lord Jesus Christ because Joshua is the one being referred to here. Now, you say, well, why is he called Jesus? Why is the Old Testament character of Joshua called Jesus in the New Testament? You know, I, I, I found an article on it, and I just feel like reading the article, it, it, it was said very well here, and I just thought that that would be best. Let me just read this short article for you. Uh, it's entitled, Why is Joshua called Jesus in uh, the New Testament? And I'll just read this for you, and hopefully you'll understand. Jesus and Joshua are really the same name, although in different languages. The Greek form in English is Jesus. The Hebrew form in English is Joshua. In the Old Testament Hebrew, Joshua's name is transliterated into English. This is where we get the English name Joshua. But when the Hebrew name is translated into Greek, the original language of the New Testament, it becomes Iesus. And this is where we get the English name Jesus. The same type of linguistic metamorphosis occurs today among names. For example, a man with the Spanish name Jorge can choose to go by the English form of his name, George. Both George and Jorge are the same name in different languages. If Jorge were to travel the world, then his name might become Giorgio or Yuri or Jurgen or Juris, or Jersey, or Gorka, or Seoras, depending on the country he was visiting. Regardless of the form his name takes, he's still the same person. In the same manner, the Old Testament Joshua remains the same person, even if called by the Greek version of his name, Jesus. So hopefully that makes sense to you. But here's what you just need to understand. Joshua is the, the Greek form of the same name translated into English. When you take the Hebrew form and translate it into English, it's Joshua. When you take the Greek form and translate it into English, it's Jesus, but it's referring to the same individual. Now, this might seem like, you're there in Acts, right? Go to Acts 13. This might seem to you like, oh, that's just a really interesting piece of, of, of information there. It's just a really interesting nugget. And, and I think it is. You know, I think that you, we should know that and we should understand these things. But there is a biblical illustration and a biblical application in this passage. And actually, um, my sister, Ms. Michelle Cruz, actually brought this up to me several weeks ago. Um, and, and, and she was telling me, oh, that'd be cool to preach a sermon on that. So I'm doing that, all right? I'm preaching a sermon on it. 
Because here's what's interesting about this, is that in the Bible, Moses, and I won't take the time to run the verses because we don't have the time, but you can do this on your own if you'd like. Moses, throughout the Bible, pictures the law. The law is often being equated with Moses. In fact, sometimes they just refer to Moses and they're referring to the law. The law of Moses. Moses and the law. Now, here's what's interesting, is that Moses represents the law in the Old Testament and the New Testament. But the Old Testament character Joshua is a Old Testament picture of Jesus. In fact, they have the same name. Joshua and Jesus have the same name. We just call him Joshua in the Old Testament because it's the English version of the Hebrew name. We call him Jesus in the New Testament because it's the English version of the uh, Greek name. But here's what's interesting, and here's why I actually think uh, the writer of Hebrews is bringing it up. He's not just bringing it up to try to confuse his writers. He's bringing it up kind of with this, I think, wink, wink, do you get it? And the idea is this. That in the Old Testament, what Moses was unable to do, which was to bring the children of Israel out of bondage and into the promised land, what Moses was unable to do, Joshua was able to do. He brought them over the Jordan River, and they finally entered into his rest. The idea is this. That in the same way that Moses could not and Joshua could, what Moses represents, the law, will never bring you out of bondage and give you rest. But what Joshua represents, the Lord Jesus Christ, he will. The idea is this, that what Moses could not do, Joshua could do. And what the law that is represented by Moses cannot do regarding salvation, Jesus, who's pictured by Joshua, can do. He can bring you out of bondage and you can enter into his rest. It's salvation. It's pictures of salvation. In fact, let me just give you a passage just to prove it. Acts 13, look at verse 38. Acts 13, verse 38. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man. Now, I don't have time to go through the passage. But this man is referring to Jesus. It's clear in the context that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. Verse 39. And by him, by whom? By this man, referring to Jesus. And by him, all that believe are justified from all things from which ye could not be justified. Don't miss it. By the law of Moses. The law of Moses can't justify you, but Joshua can. The law of Moses can't justify you, but Jesus can. A picture of salvation is the Sabbath day that we labored for six days and we cease from our labor and enter into rest. But another picture of salvation is the promised land that the children of Israel slaved away in bondage for hundreds of years and then they left that bondage. They ceased from their labor, but they didn't enter into rest. Because of unbelief. But Joshua brought them. What the law could not do, Jesus could do. What the law could not do, Joshua could do. What what, uh, justification could not come by the law did come through the, the Lord Jesus Christ, which is why the Bible says, and by him all that believe are justified from all things from which he could not be justified by the law of Moses. Go back to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. 
Now, real quickly, let me give you the application to these illustrations, right? Because we have these illustrations. The illustrations are the example of the Sabbath, uh, the seventh day, and the example of the promised land. Here's the application to those illustrations, because there's always an application. There's always an application in the Word of God. Notice Hebrews 4 and verse 9, There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Here's the application. Application number one for example number one. What was example number one? The seventh day. What's the application? Verse 10. For he that is entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works as God did from his. The first application is this. If someone is going to be saved, they must cease from their own works. They cannot be saved while still trying to work their way to heaven. Because salvation is rest, and you cannot rest while you're working. So the application is this. For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. Look at verse 4. He said it in verse 4 as well. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. So here's application number one. You must cease from your works to enter into rest. You must stop working if you're going to be saved. You cannot be saved until you stop working. That's application number one. Here's application number two. It's in verse 11. Let us, because remember, what's, what's, it's application number two for example number two. Application number one for us or example number one. Example number one was the Sabbath day. So application number one was you have, you have to cease from your works to enter into rest that's the same as salvation. Here's the application number two for illustration number two. What was illustration number two? The promised land. And here's the application, verse 11. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. I love how he says this. He says, let us labor to enter into that rest. It's like when Jesus said, you know, the works that you must do are to believe. Uh, you know, the idea is this. If you're going to work for anything, work to rest. Work to believe. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. What's, what's the application? The application is this. You will not enter into the rest of salvation if you don't believe. Now you say, well, those are pretty simple, and those, those are pretty, you know, we understand that. Go, go, to, go, go, go to verse 6 real quickly. Let me just show it to you in verse 6 as well. Seeing, therefore, it remaineth, that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. All right? Now, just real quickly, because i, I got to finish this thing up. Go to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. I'm not sure if you kept your place in Acts. I meant to ask you to keep your place there. But after Acts, you have the book of Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, then Ephesians. Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, then Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. I, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like Maybe I'm not expressing myself as clearly as I'd like to, but I just want you to understand this, okay? I want you to understand this passage. He begins by talking about the primary rest, which is salvation. He says, don't come short of it. We heard it through the gospel. The word is preached, and the word must be mixed with faith, and the works were done from the foundation of the world. That's the primary rest, salvation. Then he says, let me give you two pictures of that salvation, Two Old Testament pictures of that salvation. That rest is better than the rest in the Old Testament, but the rest in the Old Testament pictures this rest. And then he gives us two examples of those pictures. One is the Sabbath day. 
We cease from our own labors and enter into rest. And that tells us that you cannot be saved while working. You have to stop working in order to be saved. And then he said another example is the example of Moses and Jesus, which he meant Joshua, entering into the promised land. And the fact that they did not enter because of unbelief. They labored in Egypt, and God wanted to give them rest, but they refused to go in because of unbelief. And he says, the application there is, you cannot enter into rest until you believe. So he says, he's, he's, he's explaining, look, if you're going to enter into the rest of salvation, you have to stop working and you have to believe. You say, well, why is that important? Because here's what I want you to understand. These are coupled together. And the reason for it is saying, these two examples have to be true at the same time for anyone that is going to be saved. Let's look at the verses. I know they're common verses. You know them, but let's look at it. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are ye saved through faith, not unbelief. And that not of yourselves. What does that mean? And that, the word that is referring to being saved. Let's, Let's have a real quick uh, English, you know, uh, uh, sentence diagramming. For by grace are ye saved. The subject is being saved. We're saved through faith. Through faith is describing how we're saved. And that not of yourselves is describing the being saved. If you're going to be saved, it's not of yourselves. Meaning the word of is referring to source. It doesn't come from you. You don't save yourself. I don't save myself. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. Why is it not of yourselves? Here's why. It is the gift of God. It is a gift that he paid for. The works were finished from the foundation of the world. It's already been paid for. It is the gift of God. He says, look, not of works, because a gift is not something you work for. It's not something you earn. Not of works, lest any man should boast. What is the idea? Here's the idea. You need to, number one, not work, and number two, believe in order to be saved. Now, why is it important to know that? And I know that's foundational, but it's good for us to be reminded of these things. Because you know there's people out there who don't believe but are working. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, there's Mormons out there. There's Mormons out there that are better people than you are. I'll tell you that right now. I don't know them, but I know you. <laughs> That's all I got to know. I mean, I'm saying there are Mormon people out there who are honest and have character and have integrity. And they don't, I mean, they, they, they just, they live sober, righteous. I mean, they don't even drink coffee. You know, just they, good luck. But they're not believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Not the Lord Jesus Christ of the Bible. And look, if you work but you don't believe, you're like the children of Israel that came out of the promised land. They worked, but they did not believe. They did not enter in. So I don't care if you're a Hindu. I don't care if you're a Muslim. I don't care if you're a Mormon. I don't care what you are. You might be following your path, following your life, living a good life, doing your best, but if you don't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you don't believe in Christ, you're going to die and go to hell. No matter how much you work, if you don't believe, you won't enter in. That's what the promised land teaches us. They labored for 400 plus years, but because they did not believe, 
They did not enter into rest. But then there's another group out there. Another group says, well, I, will, I do believe, but I also want to work. Right? Isn't that what most so-called Christians? Well, yeah, we believe in Jesus, but you also have to. Yeah, we believe in Jesus, but if you do something really bad, then you'll lose. Yeah, we believe in Jesus. But wait a minute, that doesn't work either. Because the other illustration is that salvation is like the Sabbath day. You cease from your labors and you enter into rest. So you cannot say, well, I'm believing and I'm still working. That's like saying, I'm resting and I'm working. Well, you can't be doing both. You're either resting or you're working. You can't do both. So we look at the people that are working and say, but you don't believe. You're like the people in the promised land. You're not going to enter in. And then we look at the people that believe, but they're also working. They're not going to enter in either because you have to cease from your labors and enter into rest. See, the only way that salvation works is this. You stop working and you believe. It's the only way it works. Well, I'll just keep working and believe. Doesn't work. It's the Sabbath. It's the picture of Sabbath. It's the eternal Sabbath. The Sabbath of rest. The Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I'll work but not believe. That won't work either. You won't make it into the promised land. You'll wander in the wilderness like the children of Israel. Because what we need to understand, this is the last verse I'll have you look at it and we'll be done. Ephesians chapter 1. You're there in Ephesians 2, just flip back to Ephesians 1, verse 13. What people don't understand is this, that the, when the Bible uses the word faith and believe, words often have different definitions. Didn't we learn that tonight? Jesus is referring to Joshua in Hebrews and Acts. By the way, those are the only places that happens, just so you're not, you know. You're gonna, we're gonna be, I'm going to be preaching a Christmas sermon, and I'm going to be like, Jesus the Savior is born today, and you're going to be like, I don't know, is that Jesus or is that Joshua? Okay, it's just Hebrews and Acts, okay? Those are the only places, I promise. What people don't understand is this, that when the Bible uses the word faith and believe, the word faith and believe has multiple definitions. One definition is like believe like you believe that something exists. Like, I don't believe in Santa Claus. He doesn't exist, Right? The Bible says that the devils believe and tremble. Like they believe that God exists. But are they saved? The definition of believe and faith that is used for salvation is not just do you believe like it exists. Is are you placing your trust, your confidence in? Amen. Let me give you a, a one verse, Ephesians 1.13. In whom ye also, notice the word, trusted. After that, ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Notice how it's consistent throughout the Bible. It's always, you hear the word, you believe on the word, you put your faith. But I want you to notice here in this verse, it says, in whom also after that ye believed, and it says, in whom ye also trusted. The word belief and trust are being used interchangeably. Why? Because when we say belief, that's what we're talking about. Are you trusting in Jesus to save you? Is your confidence in Jesus to save you? And if you're going to place your confidence on Christ, then you can't say, well, I'm kind of trusting him and I'm kind of trusting myself. I'm leaning on him a little bit and then I'm leaning on my work. No, you must cease from your own works and trust completely in him and turn to his rest. 
Say, oh, well, I'm just going to trust in myself completely. I'm just going to be a good Hindu and, 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 or a good Sikh or a good Muslim and try to do uh, the things that I'm supposed to do. And then, but I'm not going to believe in Jesus. Well, that won't work either. You'll just wander in the wilderness. See, salvation is this, and this is what the Bible is trying to teach us, and this is what the writer of Hebrews is teaching us. That salvation is rest. And what that means is we must stop working, and we must believe, trust, put our confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you do that, you enter into rest. When it comes to salvation tonight, I can tell you this. I don't have it all put together, but I can tell you this about salvation. I'm at rest. There's nothing I'm trying to do to get myself to heaven. There's nothing I'm trying to do to earn favor with God. You say, oh, well, you, you're a pastor, and you preach, and you go soul winning, and you tithe, and you do this, and you do that. There's lots of things I do, but none of them to be saved. I, I have no doubt that there's nothing I need to do to save myself, not of yourselves, and there's nothing I can do to lose my salvation. You know what you call that? Rest. And the writer of Hebrews says, you know what you ought to fear? You know what you ought to fear? Is that there's this promise out there of rest. You ought to fear that you would come short and not enter into that rest. But if you believe and if you cease from your works, then you can be saved. And you can have the best rest, the primary rest, the rest salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Lord, I pray you'd help us. These teachings are basic, I understand. But it's good for us to be reminded that salvation really is rest. We cease from our own works and we believe Lord, I pray that you'd help all of us understand that, help us to make that clear to others as we preach the gospel to them. And Lord, thank you. This Thanksgiving week, we want to thank you, Father, for giving us salvation, sending your Son to die on the cross for our sins. We love you. In the matchless name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. All right, well, we're going to have Brother RJ come up and lead us in a final song. And then, of course, we want to invite all of you to stick around for 